SI, Attitudes of Sexual Integrity. My name is Russ Shaw. This is episode number eight. My name is Russ Shaw. I have answered literally hundreds of emails over the years dealing with the subject of addiction, um, people in treatment, people out of treatment, treated for, like I was, alcohol and drug addiction, who are now in this place with compulsive sexual behavior. discipline it stresses me out uh, I get that and yes continuing on with this series on stress and why would I bring up a word like discipline when it comes to tackling the issue of stress uh, I'm gonna unpack some of that I know Taking on a new discipline can be that, right? Make, make you feel anxious a little bit. But truth be told, the antonym, the opposite of that word discipline is acclimated. Okay, you become acclimated in depression. We become acclimated to anxiety until it feels like it's going to break us either side of the scale. Isn't that true? So what does it look like to have real heart level life changing kind of discipline is my uh, the next couple of shows. I'm trying to unpack that being disciplined is part of life, isn't it? And that word discipline, again, it comes from the Latin meaning pupil, meaning student, meaning learning something and flowing in a certain direction. So why does it so often feel like taking cough syrup, right? And what I've seen, really, and what I want to bring up today, what I've seen is this a massive amount of disciplined action on attacking the addiction which is good, but where is that discipline focused? Like, I've also heard from pastors and ministry leaders, even psychotherapists who feel like if they're, you know, if what they're doing is like a hospital and they're trying to heal people to live better lives, their institution is more like a, a triage in an ER. 
and people are out in this battlefield and they're getting shot and they're getting wounded and they're stepping on landmines and they come in with carnage and they just feel like they're they're you know trauma doctors just trying to stop the bleeding long enough to send them back out onto the battlefield where they end up getting shot again. So the question I want to raise today, it's like that song, you know, cough syrup. If the discipline is not, you know, yes, we need to raise our level of motivation. We need to raise our level of discipline. But also, don't we need to channel that discipline on the right area, in the right direction? with the right focus. What is discipline, right? Okay, here we go. And discipline is one of those intense words. Like it brings up, you know, feelings of intensity, in me anyway. Discipline, right? Uh, the dictionary definition of discipline is the practice of training uh, to obey rules, training someone or a group of people to obey certain rules or a code of behavior or a punishment being a result of disobedience. And listen, we all have disciplines. Every day, through moments of time, there's disciplined things we do. There's stress and then there's a disciplined reaction to stress. Stress is a thing that we all deal with. We all, we all handle stress in different ways. The stresses of my house being having the house payment paid is, you know, I, I have to discipline myself. I make work as hard as I can to make the money I need to make. To, and then I mail that check, you know, sit down in front of the computer, pay the bills. That's a discipline. Going to work every day. That's a discipline. Um, taking time to be with friends is like a discipline. A taking time to even spend time, like if you're married or if you've got a boyfriend, girlfriend, taking time to just be with them, you know, having dinner, whatnot, right? It takes effort and, and again, discipline and getting a calendar open and making, you know, time commitments. And again, especially when it comes to relationships, like a part of our heart wants to, but we have to discipline ourselves to do it, right? Going back to a little review of the last show, talking about the donkey metaphor, St. Francis, this guy talking about how his body is like a mule or a donkey. It's, it's you know, lethargic. Sometimes it's tired and it, sometimes it needs a kick in the butt to get it to do what his spirit wants it to do right? The spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. I mean, that's very, very true. Our body is like that, that donkey and, and the disciplines of life keep us going, right? Get that thing up and get it to carry the, the load, the stresses of life. It's like I said at the beginning of the year, you know, about New Year's resolutions. Your spirit writes a check that your body can't cash. Right? Your will can't keep up with the, you know, it's this kind of treasure that your heart has towards doing a new behavior in the new year. You just don't got enough, you know, monetary funds in your account to, to pay that, you know, with, with your body. Does that make sense? I don't want to get over metaphorical here. Going back to the donkey metaphor. Um, 
what we do is we have a pack of stresses that we carry in life, right? Again, relationships, bills, um, your professional life. Every day we go through and we carry this burden uh, of stress throughout the day. And taking on a New Year's resolution, for example, is like another huge load on that donkey and we're not sure how to, to carry it, right? And that's why most New Year's resolutions fail. And going back a little bit, I use that word burden. Some of you don't feel like it's a burden. Like, uh, you know, well, I like doing this, Russ. I like, um, for one guy, you know, I like going to the golf range and hitting golf balls. It's fun for me. It's a, it's not a burden. It's, it, yes, it's a good thing for my body. It's kind of a stress reliever, but you know, it's not something that is like a burden that I carry. You know, my relationships aren't necessarily a burden that I carry. Um, okay, I get that, but it is taxing on your body, right? My friend who hits golf balls has to see a physical therapist because he's getting older and now he's got, you know, this, right, muscles and pain and stuff because it's taxing on the body. Does that make sense? And some of that's good. I think it's cool to have the attitude where, you know, I want to leave a used up corpse. You know, that's a good thing. I want to, I heard it was a quote by somebody. I want to leave life totally, you know, exhausted and fatigued. But at the same time, how do we handle that stress? Some of us are more gifted and talented and strong in certain areas than others. And listen, taking on an unwanted behavior is going to be taxing on your will and emotions. It's really exhausting to your brain to change neural pathways, all right? Some cognitive science I've been studying is just fascinating with our, you know, dendritic trees, these long tentacle-like brain cells that grow in this connective tissue that creates habits and motor skills over time. You know, this is, it's a, it's a kind of discipline overcoming an unwanted behavior. And listen, this word addiction is not part of the burden we carry as much as it is how we carry it. I've been doing some writing on this recently, and this is where I'd like to introduce a paradigm shift according to how we think about addictions, psychologically and emotionally and spiritually. And listen, that's just a, an example of how devastating addiction can be, right? Bad habits, unwanted behaviors. It devastates the addict and it devastates the people that love the addict. And I'm saying, what if we shift our primary focus on overcoming the addiction to how we deal with stress? See, the right answer isn't, help, I have an addiction. It's help, I have a stress in my life at this current moment in time that has me solving that stress or relieving that stress with a bottle a pill, compulsive masturbation, having sex with people you don't know, shopping, eating a whole cheesecake, right? Habitual, unwanted behavior. But we've learned it. And that's what frustrates 
people who love the addict, right? Our friends, our family, they look at us and a lot of people judge addicts and say, well, you want to, that's why you do it. If you didn't want to, you wouldn't keep doing it. If I didn't want to, I wouldn't be in treatment. I wouldn't be, right, I wouldn't be trying to stop if I didn't want to. I don't want to. I remember just feeling like that, like just in despair over the fact that I fell again. It's like, ah, I did it again, man. I did that for years and years and years. It's amazing to me that I'm six years clean now. It is. I haven't masturbated in six years. That's like miraculous to me because I was so incredibly stuck, so incredibly ingrained in the habit. And listen, I'm not anti... When it comes to approaching treatment, for example, we'll use sexual addiction because that was my last big one that stuck for the longest amount of time. It's like that quote by Whitney Houston, you know, where she says, I, I want to. I, I am my own worst enemy. There's something in me that wants to do it. That's why I do it. And man, can I tell you something? That's my passion for doing this thing. If I could so speak into that situation, if I could so speak to her in that my heart breaks for her. Man, that that happened to her, that she died as a result of, of right? I mean, not understanding that. It's like our the donkey in us wants to. Yes. It keeps returning back to the toilet for a drink of water. Our spirit doesn't want it to. But we're not sure how to stop it. So instead of looking at the attitudes of life and the ways we react in these points of time when when life is hard and stress builds up, we're questioning who we are. That's when our body aches for the old, familiar stress reliever, right? So if we change the focus from being on our addiction, being honest about how we actually do relieve stress, it makes more sense to uh, look at the application of that, right? Um, in other words, you will have stress in life. You do have stress relievers and stress reducers. You do. Part of my whole approach in doing these podcasts is that we don't need more information. We need a different attitude, right? It's not that there's a lack of information out there. There isn't. There's a lack of application of that practical information to our lives to actually change anything. Again, you don't stuff it in from the outside. You let it out. You let it out from the inside out. All right, using those terms. A conviction's like that, all right? This word, it's not cough syrup, you know? A conviction is something that is flowing up and out of us in a certain given moment in time. And the starting roots of addiction are, again, you know, handling stress in a habitual way. And when I remember back, you know, unpacking a lot of this, going back and thinking about why, you know, the big why. Why do you do it? Why are you an addict, Russ? Why do you do that behavior? Why? Why? You know? Why? Why did I want to? Comfort. Assurance. Safety. Stress relief. It took 
a conviction out of a leap of faith to get into the addiction. See, I'm trying to answer emails that I've got from the past. This is why I haven't unpacked um, the, again, blood-bought Christian doctrine that I, I said I would on the last show. If you have an open mind, if you have an open heart, right? I, I pray that you listen. But from emails I've got recently, I really want you to see that you do take leaps of faith. See, having an open mind and heart is a big chunk of the battle. And maybe I kind of glazed over that, and that's why I'm going to take some time on this show to open your eyes to the fact that you, right, you have a worldview. Part of being unteachable, and I've worked with people and talked with people and, you know, talked with people's counsel, talked with people's pastors, um, on the phone, I, I listen, there's one thing I've learned that when this thing sticks and the people that really see some victory in this are teachable. They come to the point where they are teachable. And can I tell you something? For me, that point was realizing that, yes, I have a body, but I have a spirit with a body. And my spirit was very stubborn, right? I had a stubborn spirit, and my body stayed stuck as a result. When you stop persevering, right, when you stop pressing forward towards the goal, when you quit, when you hang it up, I give up, right? You just quit, and you adopt this attitude, this defeatist attitude. Like, I can't do any better than this, and this is just the way it is. This is how I am. This is just who I am, and I quit, and I give up. I ain't going to be any better. That's when you lose. That's when you lose. When you quit like that. Listen, I'm a freaking mess, all right? I'm a 43-year-old pizza guy and from Seattle. You know, yeah, I'm self-employed. Yeah, I got my own business, right? But listen, I'm not where I, I, right? I'm not the most disciplined person in the world. You know, I don't have a college degree. I haven't even finished high school. I don't have a high school diploma, okay? I am not varsity Mr. Disciplined. And things have changed in me that I really, man, like, wow, okay? If I take, if you took a snapshot of me 12 years ago, I am a complete, I'm different, all right? In my heart, that, that little kid part of me, the same. My childlike heart, my childlike part of me, my essence, the same. But my behaviors, the, some of the stuff that grew on me, right? Like that, I love that scene in the Pirates of the Caribbean where his dad is on the ship and he's grown in, right? Like these people, because they've been on that vessel for so long, they start to get barnacles growing on them, right? And they just start to become part of the ship. All right, I've, I was that, man, stubbornly addicted. The sexual addiction thing, man, I just figured that's just who I am. I can't, can't change it. I just got to fake it. I just got to try and manage it. I just, you know, I, I quit over and over. And I got back up over and over. But those times where I just had that defeatist attitude where the hardest, most 
awful short-term burst of freedom, I'll be honest with you, when you quit. You feel a little free for a little while, but then you realize that you got shackles around your freaking wrists and you don't want to be there. That's why you're listening, right? I'm free from that sexual addiction. I'm six years free. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus, I'm free. And that's where right relinquishing my will comes in and this is not something you're going to hear from the self-help crowd this is not something you're going to hear from the just be a winner you know be the best you you can be are you doing your best all right this is different spiritually relinquishing my will to my creator that's how i got clean that is not quitting that is surrendering my heart to my maker. Surrendering my own view of redemption, self-imposed redemption to God's cross, the cross of Christ, Jesus. God enters time and space, his creation as a man. And he shows us, he delivers us. He pays our debt. And all we have to do is accept the gift. All we have to do is surrender our own will and, and stop trying to pay it ourselves because there's no way we can. We need to be constantly reminded of the fact, the spiritual reality and realization of the cross of Christ. It's by grace we are saved through faith, not because of works. Alright, that's your relationship with the creator of the universe and the creator of you. He loves you so intimately, so intensely. The Bible says he knows the number of the hairs on your head. That's how well he knows you. He's not distant. He's not disconnected. He knows you. He loves you. He delivered you on the cross and you were on his mind. God loves you that much. We surrender our heart to that fact that he loves us. I heard a story of this, this guy who was a, a soldier, you know, and he would travel, you know, I mean, those guys go on a you, you guys in the military, man, my heart goes out to you, being deployed, and you come back, and this guy's daughter was so happy to see him, you know, it, it just wanting to be around him and wanting to do stuff for him. It was a cool picture of, of my heart sometimes, right? This little girl just starts drawing him drawings and making him stuff, and she just is a buzz of energy, and she just keeps bringing him all these little drawings and things, and, and he had to stop her, and he grabs her by her little shoulders and says, Honey, thank you for all the stuff, and thank you for all the work. That's awesome, but I just want you. I just want you for a little while. I just want you to come to me crawl up on my lap and be with me for a while. Can you do that? You know that's the heart of God? Man, that is the heart of God. He's not it's not some weird religious thing where he's got counting all of your 
things that you need to do, man. He just wants you. He just wants you to crawl up on his lap and, and love and be loved. Oh, man, I get emotional talking about stuff like that because it's so incredibly real and true. When we can surrender our hearts enough to realize that he loves us and he wants to enjoy and delight in us. That's one thing I've learned about persistent, ongoing submission to the Holy Spirit kind of prayer. That, you know, we pray for stuff and and if stuff doesn't happen in our way, we tend to give up on it. If you keep going to your dad and asking for 20 bucks and eventually he stops giving you 20 bucks, does that mean your dad doesn't exist? I mean, it's, it's that kind of thinking. God wants more from us than just giving us stuff. And those negative thoughts towards God just become persistent unbelief. Does that make sense? If you feel like you're falling away or you're losing your faith or some people call backsliding, it's it's just a persistent and sometimes what has become habitual abandonment of a pursuit of God. Overcoming addiction. Listen, there's something I've heard said a lot by like the self-help community. You know, you got to get away from these habitual negative thoughts and think positive, think positive thoughts, be a positive thinker. And, and I agree with some of that. Be a possibility thinker. But when those thoughts are just shallow, you know, that doesn't, right, that doesn't click right with God and your relationship with God because we can be positive thinkers and it can just all default on ourselves. So it's not that we would discipline our mind to just think positive all the time, but realize nothing's going to kill your life direction, that narrow road path faster than habitual selfish motivational thoughts. It's all about me. It's all for me. And if it isn't for me, I'm going to be upset. Our habitual, selfish motivations, my joy will not, right, will not be fulfilled if I don't get mine. That's simply not true. It's selfish. It's It's a habitual, selfish, I need for me kind of thinking. And it's that's the one big thing that keeps us stuck in habitual unbelief and it keeps us unteachable. Where does your joy lie? Um, if you go to my website, asi247.org, I have a new Facebook page. Well, not new. It's It's been up for a little while. I just recently put it on the website. Uh, but there is a picture of me on there in a great part of joy. It was during our anniversary, and I was out with my wife, and my daughter got this Camaro. It was a few years ago this picture was taken. Black Camaro. It's awesome. And I'm driving that car, and I'm, like, all excited and giddy. We're driving through the tulip fields out in, in uh, Mount Vernon, Washington out here. It's beautiful. In the spring, just all these tulips, like acres of just red or purple or blue. or It's awesome. And and I'm driving, and my wife snaps a picture of me, and, and there's joy. Right? There's a, there's a, you want to see a picture of me with an abundance of joy, it's, it's right there. Um, 
And, and I'll ask you that question, where does your joy lie? Because that picture wouldn't exist if I had that habitual continued, which I still am trying to break, I'll be honest. But where it was in the past would not have led to that picture, right? It would have led to despair and probably death down that wide road, right? Just chasing my jacked up sexual behavior. Because the easy way is just to keep quitting, right? See, on a heart level, what Jesus is saying, and this is this parable that he uses, that there's, there's two gates, right? There's a narrow gate that leads to life, and then there's this wide gate that seems easier, right? That, that leads to death. And it's that heart-level discipline to just realize that he loves us and he wants to delight in us, you know? And that's the narrow gate. And philosophically, we just want to believe that there's many ways to God and, you know, any, you know, just choose whatever. That's not true. That's not true. The cross of Christ is this obvious, poured-out picture of grace, for us, jacked up, messed up, sinful, ragged us. This one guy wrote a book called The Ragamuffin Gospel. That we're just like these ragamuffin, ragged dolls that just keep returning to him to love us and to crawl up in his lap and just be loved by him. And to, for him to love us, that's his passion. That's the passion on the cross. That's his, his heart for us. Messed up, jacked up us. That's his love for us. It's amazing. And sometimes we just don't want to believe that. That's the hard part. We have a hard time believing that, that he wants to delight in us. There's a hundred thousand books on self-help books and addiction books and, and, and all this stuff out there, right? Written by self-help people. There's a bunch of religious pastors or priests or clergy who are just going to give you more stuff to do. Um, hyper-moralistic deism that's out there, right? Therapeutic, moralistic deist without emphasizing the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, read Galatians. That is a, a blatant in-your-face, right? Because it's it's shaking out our faith, you know? It's shaking out our ability to trust. It's shaking out what real discipline is, what real recovery is, is getting back to that point of trust and childlike faith. Seems like that's the biggest discipline of all, isn't it? That we would shake out our stubborn uh, heart, you know? Our stubbornness that doesn't want to submit to the fact that that's true and that he loves us. And listen, when you do that, I promise you something. Over time, it will change your want-tos. And that's not cough syrup, right? That's not sucking down that thing of cough syrup. You know, it's, it takes time. There's time when it's going to be feel like that. There's time when you're going to have to bend your will to, to feel like building those, you know, those connection times with God. That's the first and most important one that we would submit our hearts to him because he loves us. Because he's after us and because he wants us and because he's jealous when we don't, you know. That's his passion for us. Again, he loves us that much. It's amazing.
I, I pray that you get that. We'll end the show right there. Um, my name is Russ Shaw. Russ at ASI247.org. Um, we have to shake this out of us, don't we? You know, I heard this song and it reminded me of that soul level kind of angst between our relationship with guilt and shame and the reality of the cross and the reality that Jesus takes our shame. He takes our shame on himself and just shaking that out, shaking out that relationship with God is very, it's very good. It'll change your want to's man. And that's not cough syrup. See, it's that soul-quenching relationship that I've found to be very, very real. I've heard it said that human beings are looking to get out of pain and into pleasure. That's just what we're doing all the time. And that's there's some truth to that, but that's mostly that wires-in-a-box kind of level, top-surfacey thinking, you know? What if it's it's more about our spirit finding rest? And that's where God meets you. That's where God met me. And that's the point when it stopped being like cough syrup, you know? You hear people say, Do you just get up early, read your Bible, and da 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 like that kind of discipline. No, get up and meet with God. That doesn't have to be cough syrup. It is meeting, you know, uh, Psalm 34, verse 8, where David says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. And we do chase the things that are good, don't we? It's just part of life. But deeper, th deeper than all of the pleasures, right, that just, that just are on the surface, it is our heart and soul. And even those pleasures that are on the surface were created by a loving God who wants us to have self-control so we can enjoy them. But more than, than the stuff is the creator of the stuff who loves us that much and wants to actually have a relationship and he wants us to commune with them and he wants us to be with them. It's mind-blowing to me when I got that. It's only through the cross, man. It's only through that, that situation that God solved for us. The debt that he paid, that it's possible. Taste and see that he's good. Pray that you do that this week. Alright? Pray. Talk to him. I just pray that you take some time this week to, to have some alone time with your creator and talk to him and ask him if you can just crawl up in his lap and be with him for a while because he so wants that and you so need it. I love you guys. Till next time. Bye.